I saw. Song, I think it came out during COVID, and uh, that was like a, I was like, man, I can't wait till we get together and sing this one. This is going to be awesome. There's a lot of people here. <laughs> On a rainy day. Man, is this not... Oh, me of little faith. I'll tell you that because, a little secret, on the way to church this morning, I was, I was telling Shannon, my wife, I was like, baby, I think, I think we might be down in attendance today. And she said, why? I said, it's raining. And typically, in church world, you're down 10% when it rains because people get up, and if it's hunting, fishing, golfing, or a football game, we'll go sit in the rain. But church, can't go to church. But then I started thinking, I know why. Because everybody in this church knows you're not made of sugar. You ain't going to melt. Might as well show up. So that's why we're here, all right? Hey, I'll, I love to do something if you're brand new. Um, I love to do something uh, a lot when I start a message. I like to ask a question. And then a couple reasons for that. Number one, um, it gets my Presbyterian friends more accustomed to raising their hands. Charismatics, we walk around raising our hands all the time. Baptists, we raise our hands in business meetings. Um, Presbyterians have never raised their hands in their life, all right? So, so I'm trying to get everybody on the same page. And number two, I like to ask a question that makes church people uncomfortable so we can all understand how jacked up we really are. So here's my question. And in this church, when I ask a question like this, I just want you to be honest. I want you to notice that some of y'all are so nervous right now, you're scared to death. You brought a visitor, you're like, I don't know what he's going to ask. Please come back next week. Notice my hand is up. It's not bad. Notice my hand is up when I ask this question, and so I am confessing to this question, so you will feel the freedom to confess to this too. How many people in the room have ever purchased a lottery ticket? Raise your hand. Oh, yeah, that's good. It's awesome. Feel at home. Now, there's somebody in there, I don't gamble. Do you have your money in the stock market? That's not a gamble. Really, I got some friends back in 2008 that would love to talk to you because they are broken homeless right now, Okay. Um, I, I, for the longest time, well, I don't know about the lottery, whatever, whatever. And then it got to half a billion dollars. And I was like, somebody's got to win. <laughs> now I didn't buy one single lottery ticket. I bought 10. Um, and, and I remember having a conversation with a guy, by the way, everybody has this person in their life, this person. And he was like, well, if you win that money, you got to pay taxes on it. This is the person that the church could baptize 100 people, and they're like, can't wait to see that water, Bill. Like, you idiot. If I win $500 million and I have to pay $250, I still have $250 million. That's a good day. But when I started thinking about this, it caused my mind to go back to something I heard years ago. And when I first heard it, I didn't believe it. So I had to, I had to dive in and do the research for myself. Now, the statistics are kind of all over the place. But from what I gathered, from all the research I was able to do and put it all together, um, and many of you have heard this, but it's true. Within seven years of winning the lottery, 70% of lottery, lottery winners are broke. That's, that's a crazy thought, isn't it? Like if somebody were to come up and give you $100 million today, you're, you're thinking, there's no way I would ever spend that much money. But within seven years, seven, I'm sure those 70%, 
never thought they would be broke again. But they hit the lottery and they went broke. We see this happen with professional athletes. We see this happen with former movie stars. They had all this money and they go broke. Now that caused me to think about working in the church. I've been working in church since I was a teenager, which means I've been doing it for a while. And, and I've discovered something. When people meet Jesus, some people meet Jesus and they follow him for the rest of their lives. Now, they don't always get it right. Sometimes following Jesus is three steps forward and two steps back. Sometimes we fall on our face. Sometimes we mess up. Sometimes we have to crawl through the pig pen, but we, we follow Jesus. And it's, it's not always messy, but it's always worth it. But, and I've seen this and you have too, some people meet Jesus and after a while, that, that feeling, that first time feeling begins to go away. And that's where we got to lean into like desire and discipline. But, but we, we meet Jesus and then we begin to drift away. Slowly but surely. And eventually, if we're not careful, we can wind up at a place where we would literally classify ourselves as spiritually broke. We're not close to Jesus. We don't feel like he's doing anything with us or for us. In fact, we, we, we believe the lie that somehow he's disappointed in us and wants nothing to do with us. And if that's you or if that's ever been you or you know somebody in that situation, I want to encourage you today with three things I wish someone would have sat me down and told me as soon as I met Christ. Now, it, it's taken me over 30 years to learn the three things I'm going to share with you today. But if somebody could have sat me down and shown me these three things, I believe it would have set me up for spiritual success. And I believe it will set us up to be successful spiritually. If you're brand new with us, we're in a story in the book of 2 Kings about a guy named Naaman who had leprosy. Leprosy is when your skin's like falling off and it's a bad thing. And, and keep in mind, Naaman was told by a servant girl. Don't miss that. A servant girl. What kind of girl? A servant girl. Hey, there's a prophet in Samaria that will heal you. But remember, he got it wrong, went to the wrong place, went to the palace instead of the prophet. But God is patient and kind and said, hey, you got close, but come on over here. So with all that in mind, we're going to start with point number one. Point number one is this. God's work begins immediately in our lives. When we accept Christ, God's work begins immediately in our lives. If you, if you met Christ last week, here's what I know about this past week. God's done something in your life. I know he has. I know he has. And not only does God's work begin immediately, God's work will, con will, will happen continually in our lives. God's got a plan for you. How do I know, Pastor P, when God's done with me? You die. When you die, he's done. That's it. So if you're still breathing, he's still got a plan. But here's the problem. Every single person in this room, everybody. Let me just ask it this way. How many of y'all would say you're selfish? Okay, yeah, not as many hands as lottery people. How many are sitting next to somebody that should have raised their hand? Because they're so, okay, wow, okay, wow. It's just, I'm going to start a marriage series. Um, 
We all selfish. I'll prove it to you. I've done this before, but it works, so let me just stay with it. After church today, you go to the lobby. There's eight people. You get your picture. So there's you plus seven others, eight people. You get the picture. Somebody hands you your phone. The first person you look at is you. Mm -hmm. And if you look good, screw everybody else. You're posting the picture. <laughs> Am I right? We're selfish. We're selfish people. And listen, I'm not cracking on you. You were born that way. I love it when people go, children are born so pure and so innocent. I'm like, you ain't got no kids. <laughs> Did any parent in this room have to teach your kid how to say the word mine? No. They showed up one day and said, mine. <laughs> it's crazy how selfish we are. Now, keep that in mind with Naaman. Naaman was not only selfish, but everything around him reinforced that because he was second in command in his country. So when Naaman walked into a room, people bowed down. He had, he had servants for his servants. That's how you know you're rich, when you got servants for your servants. Everywhere he went, people bowed down to him. They took care of him. And as we're about to see, Naaman was not only selfish, but he was selfish on steroids, all right? So, so now, we read this a few weeks ago, but I'm going to point some things out that's just fascinating. Watch this. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him. So remember, Naaman finally goes to Elisha's house, and the Bible says, Elisha sent a messenger out to him. You ever been big-timed by somebody? That's what we say in the South. If you're from the North, big-timed means like you walk up to somebody and you're like, hey, how you doing? And they give you the stink eye and walk away. It never makes me happy when somebody does that. It doesn't make you happy either. And it didn't make Naaman happy. He went to see Elisha. And Elisha basically, he sends him a text message. Watch this. He sent a messenger. He didn't even go see Naaman. Naaman was used to people bowing to him, honoring him. And Elisha wouldn't even come out and see him. He sent a messenger. Hey, come here. Go tell Naaman. Go tell Naaman. Go wash yourself. <laughs> Boy, go wash your nasty self seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be stored and you will be as healed of your leprosy. Send a messenger to tell him how to be healed. And remember we said last week that the Jordan River was a metaphor for Jesus and seven is the number of completions. So completely immerse yourself in Jesus and you'll be healed. We saw people accept Christ last week and we, we talked about that and we celebrated that. But, what, because, but because Naaman is selfish and self-centered, he misses the... He, he almost missed the miracle. Watch what he says. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. You see it? I thought he told you how to be healed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bump that. Does, do you know who I am? Did you rub my lamp? Did you bring me here? Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Like, like he, do you get it? I am naming. And then he said this. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy. I mean, he, not only did I expect him to come see me and bow and curtsy and all that other stuff, he should have waved his hand over me. Me, 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 me. That, that was his attitude. 
wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. He, this is all about me. He's used to being served. And here he's not served. And when he's not served properly, he is bad. But watch what Jesus does. Because when we meet Jesus, we can't stay the same. You can't. It's a spiritual impossibility. So, so he meets Jesus. He goes, to that, we said last week, that's symbolic of going to the Jordan River, dipping seven times. And watch what happens. Listen, y'all, I've been reading the Bible my whole life. I've never seen this until I was preparing for this message. This is mind-blowing. Then Naaman and his entire party went back to find the man of God. This is after he got healed. They stood before him, and Naaman said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel, so please accept a gift from your... He went from having to be served to calling himself a servant. Only Jesus can do that. Up until this point in the passage, it's all about name and getting served. But here he says, no, I'm, it's not about me. I'm the servant. And let me pause right here and just say thank you to every single volunteer we have working in our church right now. We could not do church without you. Thank you for serving sacrificially, especially on days like today. Be nice to the parking team. They stood in the rain directing people. Smile at them. Give them $5. That'll get them a drink at Starbucks. All right, just... He called himself a servant. He called himself a servant. This is, this is the work of humility in his life. Now, I'm going to be honest with y'all. The first time I was going to church and preachers would preach about humility, I didn't like it because they would talk about being humble. And then I went to one church one time, and the pastor, I don't know if he couldn't pronounce H's or he's just trying to sound sophisticated, but he called it humble. Humble? You need to get hooked on pahonics because that is... There's an H there, bro. Put the H in humble. And they, the way they made it sound, the H was like, humble was like, you just walk around and you're sad all the time and you can't accept a compliment. It's like, oh, it's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. And, and if somebody beats you up, then you got to go to their house the next day and let them beat you up again. And, and it was like, humble, 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 humble. And I, I heard all this stuff and then, then I discovered something. Was Jesus... Always humble? The answer is yes. God didn't want somebody to go, no! No, he was always humble. He was always humble. So humility allowed Jesus to weep over Jerusalem. But humility also allowed Jesus to make a whip in Jerusalem. Humility is not weakness. Humility is strength exercising itself only when it's absolutely necessary. That was absolutely free. I ain't even going to charge y'all for that. All right, so, so, so we see this work in Naaman. He, he begins to become humble. He calls himself a servant. Only Jesus can do that. And by the way, if you're here and there was a time where Jesus started doing a work in you, but you drifted away, it's not too late. 
Ask him to start doing that thing that he was doing in your life before. Ask him to start doing it again. Because here's what I know about him. He will. He's faithful. Which leads to number two. It takes time to renew our minds. Oh, my God. If we could just get this one down as a church. I got a question. Baby, he's got a lot of questions. I know, I know. Just stay with him. This is not a difficult question. <laughs> How many people in the room are single? Don't raise your hand. When I say single, I mean you are not married. Dude, if you haven't put a ring on it, she's on the market. <laughs> How many people are single? Raise your hand. Okay, look around, trying to help some of y'all. Now let me tell let me tell y'all let me tell all you single people something. Let me tell y'all something. Y'all leaning in? Y'all leaning in? Y'all ready for this? Right now, you know more about the subject of marriage than you will ever know. Because when you get married, I don't care how many books you've read, conferences you've attended and how many personality assessments you have taken. You married another human being. They're selfish, you're selfish, y'all are going to fight. You're going to have to change your mind about some things. Sir, I can only speak for the men. I can only speak for the men. I'll tell you a practical example. Shannon and I got married. We've been married almost a year. Praise God for her. She stayed with me longer than anybody thought she would, all right? So she's, she's stayed with me, and, and she, had a, she had a condo, and I had a house, and we decided she should move out of her condo into my house, and then my house would become our house, which is actually her house, but we, we all know that. But, but I still will be talking to people, and I'll say, yeah, we can just go back to my house, and she'll be like, baby, I'm sorry, our house. See, I'm having to re renew my mind because I've called it mine for so long, but now it's not... Is, now it's not mine, it's, it's ours, right? Like for, for example, how many of you don't have kids? You don't have kids. You don't have kids. Raise your hand. Okay, that's awesome. You know more about children right now than you'll ever know. Because when you have kids, they do not follow the script. And then when you get the first one and they are an angel, I promise you your second one will be demon-possessed. I swear, I swear they will. Would you agree that when you get married, you got to renew your mind, yes or no? When you have kids, you got to renew your mind, yes or no? And as followers of Christ, we have to renew our minds. And it takes time for us to change the way we think. Watch, you say, Perry, where do you get this? Well, stick with the story. Here we go. But Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept any gifts. And the first time I read that, I was like, come on, Elisha. He got 150 pounds of gold. You could take that, convert it into crypto. Who knows what will happen, all right? I'm, I'm, why, did he not, why did he do this? By the way, I'm going to tell you next week. Next week, we're going to finish this series, and the way we're going to end it is going to be absolutely amazing. Bring tissue. It's going to be one of the top five services that our church has ever had in our history. Now, I know what you're thinking. Pastor P, you say that a lot. So far, I've been right. I won't be wrong about next week. And by the way, you got to be in the room. You got to be here. 
Okay, so, so he said he's not going to accept any gifts. Although Naaman urged him to take the gift, Elisha refused. And this is where it gets weird, all right? Now Naaman said, all right, but please allow me to load two of my mules with earth from this place. I will take it back home with me. From now on, I will never again offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to any other God except the Lord. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Okay, I know you're, uh, all right, it's great. We won't take any gold. Listen, I got a couple mules over here. Can I put some dirt on my mules and take it home? That's weird, unless you understand the times. In the ancient world, they were polytheistic. We are monotheistic. We believe in one God. But the God of Israel, they, they believed was the God of Israel, and the God of Aram, they believed that was the God of Aram. His name was Rimon, R-I-M-M-O-N. And so when Aram went to Israel, not only was the army fighting the army, but in their mindset, the God was fighting the God. And if Aram won the victory, then that then the God of the land of Aram was stronger than the God of the land of Israel. So land was very important because it represented the, 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 mag, the magnificence of the God that that particular tribe or nation served. So when Naaman is saying, I want to take some dirt from here back home, he was basically saying, I can't worship God unless I worship God on the dirt of the land that he is over. What's happening here is Naaman is having a genuine salvation experience, but he's filtering it through an old way of thinking. And the reason why is this. It takes time to renew our minds. Did he, did, did he need the dirt to worship God? No, we know that, but he didn't know that. It takes time to renew our minds. That's, that's one of the things that, that I wish somebody would have told me. It, it, it goes to this verse, Romans 12, 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Now, let me pause real quick. Some of us in this room have PTSD from that verse because your preacher beats you with it over and over. Young people doing his head like the little gobbler going back and forth. That's why they couldn't have the choir anymore because he knocked half of them out with his gobbler. You can't dance. And reality is you can, he can't, but that's the reason he used that verse to tell you you can't. Some of you will remember if you're around my age, back in the 1990s, it's real popular to use this verse to tell you that you could not listen to secular music. So y'all remember, I mean, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I did. you'd go to the place and you'd burn all your tapes and CDs and records. And there was always one really weird kid there that would go, oh my gosh, the smoke, did you see it? It looked like a demon. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. It didn't. You smoked weed before you came here. That's why. It... Don't copy the behavior. It, it doesn't mean you can't dance and it doesn't mean you can't listen to secular music. This, this would mean something like, you know, if, if the world is doubling down on a mindset that is wrong, don't copy it. Let me give you a hypothetical example that will make just about everybody in the room slightly uncomfortable. Men can't have babies. That's not hate speech. 
I don't hate anybody. I really don't. But men can't have babies. I know that's not popular to say. I can feel the tension in the room. I'll freaking say it again. Men can't have babies. Well, there's a pregnant emoji. You know what? There's a turd emoji too, but it doesn't mean that's what I am. Men can't have babies. I was watching a documentary the other day. There was a man crying on there going, oh, where is it? They had those soft music. Where is it? going to have a child. Dude, you can't have a child. You don't have the parts to have the child. Are we uncomfortable? Listen, I don't care if people get pissed at me. Once you've already been canceled, they can't cancel you again. I'm not trying to start a fight. I'm just trying to let you know it's okay to speak the truth in love. I am following the science. Hello? So, so don't copy the customs and behavior of this world, but let God transform you. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you, let's say this word on three, one, two, three, think, not the way you behave. Jesus Christ did not die on a cross to establish a behavior modification program filled with rules and regulations to continually condemn people that are trying their best to follow him. He didn't. It takes time to renew our minds. And one of the problems in the church world is we'll take a brand new follower of Jesus and we want them to become in one week what it took us 10 years to become. It takes time for God to renew our mind, to change the way we think. And then this is the promise. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. How do we renew our minds? I'm going to give you three ways. They're not going to pop on the screen, but if you're a note taker, you can write these down. Number one is church attendance. Church attendance. Attending church, being in the presence of Jesus with other believers absolutely impacts us. And you know it does or you wouldn't be here. And this is the other thing I've noticed. Many of you have heard me say this before. The first step away from God is a step away from the people of God. Once a person drops out of church, it's only a matter of time before they drift somewhere spiritually that they said they would never go. I, I'm telling you, there's something about, and I'll tell, you, I'll, I'll tell you this, I just put my cards on the table. I've got two goals every week when I get on this stage. Number one, I want to teach you something new, or number two, I want to remind you of something that maybe you've forgotten. And if there's ever a time at this church where you, don't, where you come in and you don't feel like you're in the presence of Jesus and you don't feel like the teaching is challenging and you don't feel like you're being taught something new or reminded of something else, then I would tell you to find a church that will do that for you because at the end of the day, I want you to grow as a person. I really, I really do want that. Hold on a minute. ADD moment. That was real. I promise you. I don't make this up. You can ask. I was at lunch with Cole the other day. We were talking. We were so into it. Right in the middle of the conversation, I stopped. And I went, what are we talking about? <laughs> He's got ADD too, so he got me. I mean, we, we get each other. It's great. We're starting a podcast together. It's going to be amazing. Attending, attending church. Attending a place where we really can Step into the presence of Jesus. And, and I say this lovingly, but I say this, 
um, very firmly, it's not, attending church means stepping into the room. You know, you know, you know there's something more real in the room. Am I right? I mean, y'all are in the room. Y'all should be saying amen, all right? The second thing that, we can, that brings us, that helps renew our mind is worship music. I'm telling y'all, listen, listen, I, I'm not, listen, I listen to all kinds of music. I am all over the place. My mom and dad, when I was like nine years old, bought Coal Miner's Daughter by Loretta Lynn on an eight-track tape, and I can sing every song in that movie. Not today, but I can do it, all right? I also listen to Van Halen, Led Zeppelin, ACDC. Many of y'all know about that one. I mean, I listen to all kinds. I listen to, but, but I'm telling you, if I'm worried or if I'm freaked out or I'm melting down, I put on a worship song or I, I, I just, I listen to some worship music. And here's what I know. Listen to me. It is impossible to worry when we're caught up in worship. It's impossible to be consumed with anxiety when we're consumed with the presence of Jesus. It is impossible to be freaked out when we're going all out after Jesus. Actually, he's actually coming all out after us. And I'm just telling you, if you want to get into the presence of Jesus, put on a worship song and listen to it over and over and over and over again. I guarantee you it will change the way you think. And then God's word. Read, God, read God's word, because here's, here's the promise I'll make you. When you read God's word, you read God's will. Now, I know the Bible can be frustrating. You're going to start in Genesis and read all the way through, and you quit in Leviticus. They started killing goats, and it got crazy. <laughs> but here's the promise that, that I'll make you, because God does have a plan for your life. And God tells us in his word, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Now, the metaphor here is powerful. And I want us to get this today because in reality, everybody in this room, Christian or non-Christian, would have to agree that we live in a dark, dark world. And this is where we are. And we can see that's where God wants us to be. That seems like a gap. There's no way we could get there. There's no way that could cover us. And so what we typically do, and I'm not fussing at you because I've done this too, is this can be discouraging, and so we'll step out of the light. And nothing that happens in the darkness is beautiful. We'll only, listen, we're always as sick as our secrets. But God said, God said, I, I'll get you there. How? Well, your word is a lamp and a light. So all I'm going to do is show you the next step. And eventually, I can make it to where he's going or where he wants to take me because his word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He always shows us that next step. What's your next step? All the lights went out. Everybody got a CWP. <laughs> they ain't taking me, Martha. Anyway, here we go. Number three. 
Tension does not mean we are losing the fight. It means we are fighting the fight. If you're in this room and you feel like you're in a spiritual struggle, I want to say congratulations. You're fighting the fight. I, I, I want to teach this because I feel like in church world we've lied for a long time. In fact, let me tell you the lie that we get told. I, lie. Lie. A person who walks with Jesus will never struggle with sin. Now, the reason I put lie here is because if I didn't, somebody would have taken a picture of just that statement and put it online and just made like the people do that. There's like a preacher sneaker thing. I don't know if y'all heard about that preacher sneaker where they take pictures of a preacher's shoes and said, if he loved Jesus, would he wear shoes like that? I'm like, I'm just sorry. You ain't got a shoe game. By the way, I got some J's on today. They're pretty nice. I've never been on, I've never been on preacher sneaker, but I hope these get me on there. So anyway, I'm a little jealous. I'm a little jealous. My friend Stephen Furtick's gotten on there with his sneakers. I'm mean, I just, these are nice. They were a gift. All right. No, I bought them. I just kidding. Anyway, th this is a lie. Now, he here's what's crazy. If I took that out in most churches, if I said that statement, it would get me an amen. Amen, preacher. People to walk with Jesus never struggle with sin. That's just, oh my gosh, that's not true. Some of you go, no, it is true. Well, let's just, instead of being hypothetical, let's just look at people who actually walked with Jesus. Peter, did he struggle with sin? Yep. Judas walked with Jesus for three years. Did he struggle with sin? Yep, Thomas, yep, James and John, yep, Paul, yep, yeah, everybody. And they were closer to Jesus than any of us have ever been. What in the world would make us spiritually arrogant enough to think that we're not going to fight sin? See, the problem isn't us struggling with sin. The problem is when we stop fighting the fight and we just give in to sin. The problem is when we can sin and then it's not a struggle anymore. That's the issue. And the reason I want to bring that up is because Naaman was super honest about the struggle he was getting ready to step into. And honesty is not something that's valued in most churches. We, 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 we get real fake when people ask us how we do, how we're doing. But Naaman gets so real and so raw, and I love his honesty because watch this. He said, however... This is after he asked for the dirt and the mule thing. May the Lord pardon me in this one thing. When my master, the king, goes into the temple of the god Remon to worship there and leans on my arm, may the Lord pardon me when I bow to. Ooh. Now, if you're a bystander and you're just standing there, and Naaman says this to Elisha, the man of God, you just, just kind of start backing off. It's kind of like at family gatherings. I never will forget, if I wanted to get my aunt and uncles fighting, all I had to do was bring up Bill Clinton when he first got elected. Like if everything was boring, I'd be like, huh, what do y'all think about Bill Clinton? And I would just kind of back out of the room because by the end of it, somebody was dead. I'm, we, we redneck. Somebody's flying out a window or whatever. 
The reason this is intense is because Elisha was like the prophet. And if you read through the scriptures, I'm going to be honest, he was a little emotionally unstable. I like him. No, seriously, he's walking down the road one time and the Bible says 42 kids came out and they were like making fun of him for his bald head and he just called two bears out of the woods and they ate all all the kids. (laughs) Some of you are like, what was that prayer? Anyway, it, it was... You don't, you basically, he's saying, hey man, I'm going to go into the temple of a false god and I'm going to bow, but it's not real, but I kind of got to do it. It's just, now if you're Elisha, you're like, all right, listen, idiot. You can't bow to other gods. There's verses, there's books, there's podcasts, there's all kinds of things that tell you, no. But see, it, Elisha was just this, he had this crazy idea that he trusted God as much after Naaman's salvation as he did before. And he didn't try to control Naaman. What Elisha says is mind-blowing. This is his response. Go in peace. So Naaman started home. If you're standing there, you're like, that, that's it? Go in peace? Actually, the Hebrew word, he didn't, he didn't actually say go in peace. He said one word. In Hebrew, it's shalom. Shalom means God is with you. God, God be with you. In other words, he was like, you know what, Naaman, you've just essentially met Christ. I'm not going to weigh you down with rules and regulations and what to do and what not to do. Here's what you need to understand. God be with you. God will lead you to make the right decision in his Time. He didn't give him permission to sin. He said, God is with you, and he will show you what to do. What if the church could trust God like that today? See, if you're in this room, I need you to understand two things before you leave today. Just two. Just two. The first one is this. Jesus is in you. Like, if you're a Christian, Jesus lives in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason that's remarkable is it means that nothing can conquer you. Nothing can define you unless you let it. Jesus Christ living in us, listen, he literally came from death to life. If he can do that, then nothing, nothing is impossible For anyone in this room or anyone watching online, you can overcome an addiction. You can overcome anxiety. You can overcome suicidal thoughts. You can overcome anything outside these walls that are coming against you. You can overcome anything in your mind that is coming against you. Not because you are strong or we are strong, but because Jesus is in you and Jesus does not lose. All he does is win. And he wants us to win in him. Which 
Which leads to the second point is this. Jesus is for you. Jesus wants better things for us than we want for ourselves. The Bible says his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are greater than our ways. What would happen to a body of believers that believe Jesus is in me and Jesus is for me? If that's true, then nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. The world can't define you if you know Jesus is in you and Jesus is for you. So God, right now, I just pray for your favor. I pray that we would feel your favor in this room and that Jesus, we would know that you're with us, that we would know that you are for us. Your plans are greater. Your ways are higher. Father, have your way. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Jesus, I pray that today we would walk out of this place with a victorious mindset, not because of who we are, but because of who you are inside of us, Jesus. With heads bowed and eyes closed right now, maybe you're here this morning and you need to, to say, Jesus, that work that you started in me at one point, would you do it again? Would you complete that work? Maybe you're here today and you need to ask Jesus, Jesus, change the way I think. If there's something I'm getting wrong, show me how to get it right. Maybe you're here today and you just need to pray, Jesus, show me that next step so clearly. And maybe you're here today and you've never prayed to receive Christ. You've never asked Jesus to come into your life. Today's the day. Today's the day that you're going to meet Christ. If you know you're, if you know that you don't know Christ and you need Jesus to come in your life today and save you, then right where you stand, I want you to pray this prayer in your heart. Just pray it in your heart. Just say, Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner and I need you as my Savior. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave to pay for my sins. And right now, Jesus, I receive you into my life as my Savior and my Lord. In Jesus' name. With head still bowed and eyes still closed. Head still bowed and eyes still closed. If you just prayed that prayer, do me a favor right now where you're standing and put your hands straight up in the air. Just put it straight up in the air because I want to pray with you. Oh, amen, 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 amen. Anybody else? Keep them up, keep them up, keep them up, keep them up. God, I want to thank you for these hands in the air. I want to thank you for changed lives. I want to thank you, Jesus, that you are continually changing lives. I want to thank you for the people that accepted you today. And I want to thank you for the people that got reconnected with you today. Father, I want to thank you that you've given us a house where we can experience your presence. As we leave this place, may we know that you are with us, that you are for us, and your plans for us are immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine. Everybody that agreed with this prayer said, Amen. And amen. I'm glad you came to church today. Are you glad? We'll see you back here next Sunday. Y'all have a great week. God bless.